I went to a bar yesterday and I told them, I was like, this is busy for a Monday. And I said it to one person. They're like, yeah. And then this girl came up to me. And she's like, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> What's up, all you wine hoes? I'm Liz. And I'm Sav. And this is Over What's up, wine hoes? <laughs> Today we have a very exciting guest that was voted Best Pop Artist in L.A. by L.A. Weekly. She is a singer, songwriter, and musician. She has been a musical prodigy from a young age and continues to write and perform with undeniable confidence, glamour, and authenticity. Please welcome our guest, Fiona Gray. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I swear I came for the chat, not just the free wine. So, <laughs> thank you both. This is so much fun. Yes, thank you so much for being here. I will try not to fangirl my, this whole yes. time. <laughs> um, but we are very, very grateful that you're here. So, thank you. I can't wait. This is going to be fun. Yeah. I'm so excited. Well, should we start drinking wine? Yeah. I think we should start yes, drinking wine. Please. Awesome. So, today we are drinking a Predator Zinfandel. It's a 2020. I got this at Costco. Ooh, yeah. I love a Costco wine. Costco has great wines. They really do. Well, well cheers, cheers, guys. Cheers. cheers. Ah. Mm. Ooh. That's good. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm definitely like a full-bodied red mm-hmm. gal. Mm-hmm. Like, I want something that really is going to like give me a, like a punch. Yeah. yeah. I don't like anything too sweet or anything too dry. Mm-hmm. Um, this is good. I'll yeah. Have to... Yeah. As always, we will circle back at the end of the episode to the wine, give you guys some final thoughts, pairing ideas, the whole thing. Yeah. I kind of want to start with some of our favorite songs of yours. Oh my yeah. god. Okay. Let's and, do it. <laughs> um, one of my favorite. Well, okay, I have two. Money is my first favorite because like it's just such a headbanger, and I fucking it's love a it. It's a bop. It's a bop, and like I'm just like <laughs> yes. Yona, go. And then my all-time favorite, though, is Kerosene. Music video, too, was so beautiful because it was just yourself. It was you the whole time. And, you know, if you haven't listened to the song, Kerosene is about, like, a, a toxic relationship. But it takes, like, kerosene. It takes a flame. It takes yeah. wood. And it takes all these components. So it wasn't just, you know, my ex that was the toxic person. Yeah. It was also me. 100%. Like, oh, I got that it. Was, yeah, yeah you right? totally oh, great. <laughs> Which I have so many more stories for both of them, but that is awesome. That means a lot. Yeah. yeah. Not that I was the toxic one. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. We are always the perfect no, one. I was perfect. But no, seriously, it was just like, it, it made me realize like, oh yeah, it comes down to me. I'm the one that tolerated all that shit. Mm. So yeah, that's why I resonated with that song the most. So thank you for putting that out yes. there. I was just talking about money just to start like, off. I think of different places in LA as holding specific memories of like where I was at in that moment in time. And when I wrote that song, I was, it was, I was so obsessed with thinking of the Kardashians as like French aristocrats Mm. and the danger in power, I think is so fascinating to me. Mm. And so I remember kind of writing that song with my little sister in mind and thinking about like, is she going to like grow up wanting to like augment her body and, and fight for these like 
kind of unrealistic ideals. Mm. Um, hilariously, it's my dad's least favorite music video. He refers to it as porno pop because <laughs> I shot the video <laughs> in Paris and, you know, I was having a good time. It was an ode to, I don't know if you're familiar with Helmut Newton, the mm. photographer. Amazing, amazing Parisian photographer. Really, like, dark and twisted concepts for that time he brought to life and I'm a mega fan of his and so I shot it in specific locations in Paris that he shot photos I shot the video in oh Ooh. that's so cool so that was really a cool thing about money it's the closest I've ever gotten to a sex tape I mean it is <laughs> a city I don't know if you've seen the music video no I haven't seen no. that one yet oh it's like <laughs> It's Ooh, like, but I'm here for the sex tape. Yeah. It is like, it was an enjoyable music video to film. <laughs> but yeah, we shot the video in Paris, which was really cool. Felt wow. very glamorous. I mean, we're talking like Paris on a low budget, but you wouldn't know from the music video. Like I yeah. couldn't afford a makeup artist for the second day. So I slept in the makeup <gasps> and made sure that I didn't touch my face. Oh my God. And I remember walking at like five in the morning to our location to shoot like a sunrise scene and having like day old makeup and walking through the streets of Paris. It's like, they're all like loading you know, their stuff for the day or the markets are all opening up. And I just felt like this American cliche, <laughs> like this like morning after Parisian cliche. Um, so yes, definitely watch the music video. Uh, my friend Chase McCurdy directed it and he is so, so talented. Kerosene hilariously talking about ambulance life oh which is something that i have uh, i've told you guys about but i'll tell everyone else about i dated a guy and he now lives in uh, his ambulance in my driveway which is you know we can get more into that later but the song <laughs> just normal things just normal things <laughs> that song i wrote about our relationship mm. wow. and it was kind of it's one of the few co-writes where i was able to get so vulnerable like I remember driving to that co-write and just sobbing and I'm like I'm the type of like person who I want to make the relationship work and why can't I fix this and why can't I like mm -hmm. make it like I want everything to work yeah mm -hmm. I'm too much of a romantic I'm too much of an optimist and I remember getting there and he was like you look like are you okay and I just remember that song being one of those rare moments where things just thought vomit out of you wow. mm -hmm. um and I was able to Evan Bloom I wrote the song with and it was one of those things where he was able to like do a really good job of like listening to what I was telling him and letting me just sing mm -hmm. um and the first line of the song is shut up tell me what I want to mm -hmm. hear we've all been in those relationships where we're like shut up tell me what I want to hear mm -hmm. why why can't you do this like it just seems so simple that you can just love me and I can love you and we can be happy yeah mm -hmm. like what's up with that? yeah yeah what's your favorite um my favorite is girls like me uh, yeah. oh my gosh yeah it's just like it's kind of sad but you're like crying with the song and you're just like yeah you don't get it like you don't you'll never understand girls like me <laughs> I that is the oldest song that I think is like currently out right now I remember writing that song to a initially to like some random beat and it was this like trip pop song oh wow and I remember being like I think it was like a journal entry already. Like I already had everything in the song written. Singing it out, I probably was like 
19 when I was mm-hmm. like, and it was one of those things where when we got into this EP, the one, when we got into the cult classic EP, I like found it. And I was like, oh, wait. I was like, I can scratch all the melody. I can scratch all the everything and just go back to the words that I'd written previously. Because these words, I think, are powerful. Songwriters love to write too many verses and then you have to cut them back. But like, I probably had a 10 minute Girls Like Me wow. version of just like all of the different, you know. Because mm-hmm. three minutes is like such a small amount of time to say all the things you want to say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that you're like, you just keep writing. You keep like, I feel so much more than just like a page of words. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Are we going to get a 10 minute version (laughs) of girls like me? (laughs) I'm here for it. You heard it here first. (laughs) A band camp exclusive. (laughs) Well, take us back. Like what, what started this music career of yours? I feel like I never, had a moment, I think a lot of artists have this moment where they're like, I am gonna be a musician. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't have that moment. Like, I just always was making music. I released my first song at six. Wow. It was a song I wrote with my dad. It was released on Disney Records, and it was about the lemonade stand that we uh, built together, and it was called Happy Lemons. Aww. And I was, I was thinking about it today, Hopefully not for the rest of my career. That song has probably made me more than any of my other songs. Wow. I still get, like, money from that song, like, because wow, it constantly is being played. Mm-hmm. Uh, hilarious story is Dave Grohl uh, went on K-Rock, and he played 10 of his all-time favorite songs, and he played my song that I wrote when I was six, Happy Lemons, and I have a video of it, and he's like, you guys are going to think this is just some kid's song, but this is a great, listen to this amazing pop chorus. Like, this is a, he's like, this is a great freaking song. And I just laugh that, like, that's the song. Like, you're always like, what song's going to resonate? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's that song I wrote about the lemonade stand uh, when I was six <laughs> oh years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like going back to your question, it's like, I just kept making music. And I kept making music about what was important to me. Mm-hmm. When I was six, it was a lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. When I was 17... It was about, you know, that first heartbreak or the girl who was mean to me or whatever it was. And, you know, as I've gotten older and you experience deep love and and horrible, you know, tragedies, you just write about what's going on in your life. Mm -hmm. And so I remember that moment where I was like, I'm just going to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. Didn't stop. So were your parents pretty supportive at a young age? Okay, so here's a funny story. I got into the like my number one school, and my stepmom made me look at that money. So the school was going to put me $200,000 in debt. They didn't give financial aid, and she made me write a spreadsheet of what I could do with $200,000, and looking at it not like just that BFA or whatever it was, but looking at it like money. And hilariously, my parents like talked me out of it because they were like, you're already doing this. You should get degrees if you have, if A, it's like an industry where you need a degree Mm -hmm. or if you're in a place where you're like, ah, it would be awesome to learn all these things. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have learned more from going to school just at that moment that $200,000 could have been spent in different ways. 
I didn't have $200,000 in the bank, (laughs) but like my college account was, you know, a normal sized college account. And I just let it sit and accrue interest. And that September I got asked to work with the band kitten doing like background and percussion and tour for five weeks opening for Charlie XCX. Wow. And for me, that was like, okay, I should probably just like keep doing this. Mm-hmm. And that kind of grew, and then an EP came from that, and like, you just I just kept doing the thing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Can you talk about how your parents were in the music industry and artists themselves, and how yeah. that has made you an artist you are today? Yeah. Nothing was glamorized. Both of my parents had done really, really well, and also been really, really poor. I knew the work and the things they gave up to do it, and. The relationships that, that couldn't get nurtured because of their love for their craft. Like, mm-hmm. I knew all that they had given up. I didn't go into it naively thinking it was going to be great. I went into it like, like you're going into war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest gift they get. My, my dad um, is a successful musician. And my mom uh, is an amazing writer a successful voiceover actress and a singer herself. And like, they're both like all encompassing artists in some ways they were able, they were in an industry that like being an all encompassing artist was actually more doable. There's no middle class as a musician. Like you either make no money or you make all the money. Mm. Like as we've like seen with like what Spotify, you know, pays you and what Mm -hmm. even like Los Angeles live shows pay you. Like my dad paid his rent off playing live and selling CDs. Like, we Mm -hmm. don't really have that opportunity. So in some ways, they had the luxury of being more of an all-encompassing artist than I think people in our generation have. Oh, interesting. I feel like I need to be less cynical about, oh, I wish I could have that 1990s fantasy of being a musician because in each era, they probably in the 1990s wanted the 1970s version of being a musician mm. so i'm trying to accept it and yeah mm. and uh be a tiktok star no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> not at all <laughs> so something and it's interesting you saying like you know you're writing about lemonade stands when you were six and you're writing about heartbreak and stuff something that you said in our pre-interview that really stood out for both of us was that Music should really grow with you, and artists should embrace constantly evolving. So how has your music evolved over your career? Yeah, I think that there is this constant feeling and you know, what our new music industry is to this constant reinvention or new era or new version of ourselves Mm -hmm. we're constantly having new versions of ourselves yeah it doesn't mean that we are a completely different artist and we should change our name because fans should enjoy following along with how you are evolving and becoming a hopefully more woke aware happy loved person or the opposite (laughs) but that's your own journey Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and your music should reflect how you're feeling and it's still a part of you and it's still a part of who you are as an artist and that like I would say sonically changes I don't know I come from the the frame of mind that anything that comes from my mouth that I wrote is a Fiona Gray song Mm. so if in my career I decide that I am 
head over heels, crazy, joyful, and want to write a country album about it, well, sure as hell, I'm going to write that country album, and it might screw up Spotify's algorithm, but I don't really care. It's mm-hmm. still a part of, like, I'm not going to, like, make a new name to express the new feeling that I've evolved to. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're so focused. I mean, even if you look at, like, current trends, we're so focused on these, like, hyper niches. Like, especially, like, going back to TikTok, like, what are you? What do you do? Do you post trend alert TikToks? Do you post mm-hmm. uh, dance, common dance TikToks? Like, oh, well, you shouldn't change it up because then you're you're really uh, not going to grow because you're going too far out of your mm-hmm, niche. Mm-hmm. And like, I think in its own way, the music industry is like, well, we just got you comfortable on all the indie pop playlists, so don't go too rock because then that's a whole new... Like, they want to understand what you are in such bite-sized fashion. And that is what I find so, like, uninteresting. Yeah, mm-hmm. they pigeonhole you. Yeah, yeah, so, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a horrible career move, but I think that music should grow with you. I don't think anything I've done really is that far out of genre, but Mm-mm. maybe to other people it is, and... I don't really care. <laughs> if Miley yeah. Cyrus can do it, so yeah, can you. See, that's, yeah. like, that's like, and thank God for artists like her. I mean, even if you look at like Bowie, like mm-hmm. Bowie was one of those artists that everything was like a different imagination of who he was. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And mm-hmm. I understand like album cycles, for instance, like they each album cycle, you kind of like look at what the look of that album cycle is. Mm-hmm. So I understand like sometimes I have black hair sometimes I have blonde hair like we can evolve our style with our music or evolve a bunch of styles with one song that you release but I just think that I don't know I just don't want to be pigeonholed yeah it would be it would be almost like dumb to pigeonhole yourself as an artist Mm -hmm. and it's more I think like like if I really like therapied myself out like it could be that voice in the back of my head Mm -hmm. that's like too worried if I like like I've been working with MNDR, um, who's like Ooh, an amazing. I want to do that. Yeah, it's oh, good. Oh, not EM, not oh, not. M-M- what is MMDR? MNDR is a singer. You're thinking of oh, EMDR. Oh, we're thinking this of type EMDR of therapy. For like therapy. I know. I was like <laughs> EMDR. <laughs> She's a producer, but there is. I would like to do the therapy as well. <laughs> the therapy. She's gonna keep this in because she will love this. But the stuff I've been doing with her has been like more on the like hyper pop world. Mm. In my mind, I'm like, this is so different. What are people gonna think? And then I have to like center myself and be like, you're still you writing Mm -hmm. songs. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And you have to do what feels authentic to yourself too. Like if you do feel like, oh, I really feel like this country album is going to be my thing right now. And like, then you're trying to force yourself to make it something that it's not, it's probably not going to feel right for you anyway. Totally. I mean, let's be honest, all these steps for me in my career, are just trying to get me closer to being Cheryl Crow. We're going to make a bunch of pop records. I just want to live on that in Nashville on a farm. Don't let the pop music fool you. It's all going to end up being like poor man's trail crow in the end of the day. I love that for you. I love it for you. Thank you. I wish I wasn't so serious. But yeah, I mean, music evolves and we do. And 
I think that should be the most exciting thing about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. So when you perform, you have this undeniable fearless and confidence, the costumes, the dance moves, and you've always been authentic to yourself. So how, how do you keep doing that? How, do you, how are you so confident? That's like one of those like funny questions where you're like, I guess I am confident. <laughs> and I am. like On stage, nothing matters. Like I sometimes wish I could have that same confidence walking down the street as I do hmm. on, on stage. Like it's, I, I, I feel like I'm a confident person, but it's a whole different, a whole different energy that mm-hmm. you get. And maybe it goes back to that, that ability to have that power mm. that we don't get in day-to-day life. That, can I interrupt you? That's yeah. really interesting because like right when you walked in the door, I felt your energy of just like confidence. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And you I've never like seen you. It. Yeah, you exude it. But I, I mean, I haven't seen you perform, but I was like, oh, that's exactly the kind of energy that she has on stage. Oh, wow. Thank yeah. you. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I feel like right now, so disconnected from that version of myself, not mm. having performed in two years. Like it is my drug of choice is like the high from being on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when you're not getting that euphoric feeling that you get when you're on stage and like remembering what that version of yourself is in these times where I'm not playing as much mm. has been something where I'm like, I feel disconnected from it. Mm. And so good. It hasn't, I haven't <laughs> lost it. Um, I think of my stage performance as like a musical theater show. And like, I kind of initially thought I was going to go into being a musical theater performer and I hated how like typecast I was. And so I've kind of brought that energy out in my show. Mm -hmm. And I think there's nothing more for me, at least there's nothing more exciting and powerful than being able to like have 45 minutes to like diary entry sing you all my feelings in like also be half naked like it's the really <laughs> in like a sequence bodysuit like there's like something that's like so unreal that I get to dance around the stage and tell mm-hmm. you about my happiest days and my shittiest days and all the days in between that I think you like I can't help but feeling uh, confident and and excited to share that yeah that's no that's beautiful. really beautiful rub some confidence on me please yeah. <laughs> oh my god you made two background singers or my two background dancers for the next show pasties only yeah. <laughs> Ex- honestly exactly is there anyone in particular that you draw your inspiration from when it comes to your performance style and your looks and everything i mean share i mean madonna mm-hmm. bowie I mean, I kind of just want to be Mick Jagger in the end of the day. Like, I want to, <laughs> like, look like Cher, dance like Mick Jagger mm-hmm. kind of vibes. And end up like Cheryl Crow. And end up like Cheryl <laughs> Crow. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. And date John Mayer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. A dream. <laughs> so you draw uh, inspiration from Cher and for your clothing. But, like, who do you draw inspiration from for your music? Yeah. Or what do you draw inspiration from? I love songs. Like, I love well-written songs. Mm. And so I think that definitely defies genre. Like, I love, like, Paul McCartney's solo album work. Mm. I'm a big fan of. Obviously, I love Gwen. I don't need to hide how much I love Gwen. Tom Petty. Mm. Bowie is huge. Like, I love old 70s rockers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like my core 
<laughs> love. <laughs> and what I'm inspired by is just like life mm-hmm. and like wealth, like not mm. positively. Like I think wealth and like the ways in which we exploit wealth, I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And the way we like idolize people and like our need for perfection on social media, I find really like an interesting like thought piece to write about. Mm. Mm. I find filter culture, like sick of it was all about filter culture. Like I actually think filter culture is like the face augmenting filters that mm. like make your eyes bigger and your nose smaller and your lips bigger. Like I find it really dangerous yes. and I'm really inspired by like thought pieces against that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The past year, I think that a lot of we were only able to be in front of our phones. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I even more so than before, like was really fascinated by how dan- like, do you ever think about like how much you look at your own face? Like when I'm on work calls all day or meetings, I'm on a zoom with my face right in front of me all day long. Mm-hmm. Like it's not really healthy. The amount that we yeah. stare at ourselves. Totally. And I find that really fascinating. Well, and especially like you see these young kids now getting on social media and having that ability right at their fingertips. Like mm-hmm. I know like personally I had to delete Snapchat because mm-hmm. I saw myself with like these cute little deer filters and dog ears and whatever. And then I would look in the mirror and I, ha- I hated it. Yeah. And it's just like, now I look back and I'm just like, well, I was so young, but these kids now, like they're even younger and they're yep. seeing that. And it's mm-hmm. just like, it's so detrimental to their mental health and their body image. And mm-hmm. I mean, there are stats out about it. It's insane. Yeah. Well, a hundred, hundred percent. And that's what like the sick event music video is like this, like black mirror inspired world that I created of just like, no matter what, we won't be happy. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the fact that I have been on a diet since I was probably 12. Mm. It's like, this is so like, and I was looking at myself, like I was looking at, myself in middle school and myself in high school and like I had a great body and I mm-hmm. and I probably in 10 years will think the same about myself now mm-hmm. but like how much we're so focused on this one concept of beauty that is also ever evolving with trends I mean I've always had a a bigger butt <laughs> <laughs> and that was like something that I used to be so embarrassed by because that wasn't the trend. Oh, well, now it's in. Your butt is in now, so you can flaunt yeah. it. But la di la di la, it's gonna not be in in ten years, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's so much in like, I don't know, vanity that I find really yeah interesting. Hmm. Yeah. What is your writing process like? Like you have all these feelings about body image and social media, for example. Yeah. What? Where do you go from there with that? Well, so I write with cassette tapes. <gasps> Wait, Have you what? Done really? So okay, so yeah, so my dad is a songwriter, and he has this like method, the songwriting method that I really like, and it's all about like cycling through ideas and not being like. It's about like taking the stress out of songwriting. I have a cassette tape that I'm like working, that I'm filling up. And I have another cassette tape that is already filled up. And so I'm listening through each of those ideas on the fully filled up tape. And I'm moving that one idea one step further on the second tape. Does that make sense? Oh, interesting. So it's not about finishing songs. It's about like moving them along. And so the interesting thing about that from like a where you're at at different headspaces is that like here's a great example. Like from the most basic level of songwriting. All songwriters like a breakup song. 
you listen on the tape to call it tape A. It's actually called your uh, source tape. So I listen on my source tape of a song that I wrote when I broke up with my boyfriend. Okay. It's just a simple example. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're back together. So now I'm writing that song, listening to this breakup song, but with the concept that we got back together. So it's going to be so much more dimensional than just that breakup song. It's going to have these different, like we're talking wine. It's going to have these different like notes and emotions Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't just get on just a breakup song. So I think it's cool because you can like, it doesn't feel as one dimensional. How many cassette tapes do you go through? Just two or like you oh, just keep no, going? Oh no, you've constantly. I have hundreds. Wow. So you so finish cool. it. Up. So once you go through a source tape, it's like bye-bye. You're not going to go through it again. You're not forced to not finish the song, but you're also not forced. And like a lot of songwriters feel like they have to finish that song. Well, not all songs are ready to be done. Mm-hmm. Like, Girls Like Me is a great example of that. Like, I was adding verses to that for years until it felt done to me. And then I cut, you know, 75% of it and released it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why I think a lot of songwriters feel, like, stagnant in their songwriting process. Mm. Because they're so pressured to finish this one song that's, like, not ready. Yeah. Huh. So how mm. do you know when something is fully ready? When I, like, want to play it and it over and over again and I'm excited to play it and I'm not thinking of like what I want to add to it when mm-hmm. I'm like no here it is I, when you're excited to play it mm-hmm. and you're not like oh but that second verse like uh, if I just had a tighter rhyme scheme on the second like no it's like when you're like this is good hey guys we hope you're enjoying the episode so far before we continue our interview with Fiona we wanted to put out a quick trigger warning In this next segment, we are going to talk about suicide. So if this is something that you're uncomfortable hearing about, then we encourage you to skip ahead to the 39-minute mark. Do you mind talking about some of, like, your life experiences that have made you create some of these, like, amazing albums and songs? And I mean, we've already kind of talked about a lot of the past catalog, but I actually have new music coming out, which is (gasps) very exciting. So I have an EP coming out. The first single comes out in April. So it's like soon. I would say this EP is probably like my most vulnerable body of work, like top to bottom. It was written in a time where I, in a three month period, had my heart broken by a man who now lives in an ambulance in my driveway. (laughs) (laughs) I lost my sibling to suicide. My sibling, Jamie, was transitioning. Mm. um, In the process of transitioning to becoming my brother, they were an amazing, amazing human. And I think the one thing that we don't talk about a lot is that all it takes is the bottom dropping one time. And I don't know if you know this, but an interesting fact is one out of two people transitioning from biological female to male will commit suicide. 50%. Like, that is fucking crazy. Mm. Um, And so I lost Jamie um, August of 2019. And then I fell in love, was really deeply falling in love at the same time. And it's this, like, dichotomy of, like, is this life? Like, is... And it is. Like, life is harsh heartbreaks and deep love and, mm-hmm. and tried like, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That's what living is. It's, it's it going through all the emotions. Mm-hmm. And so 
I think the interesting thing about this EP is that like um, it kind of captures all those emotions. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear the song? Yeah, that I wrote. Wait, this is a new song. This is a new song. Yeah, this <gasps> is a song. I got Yes, play it. Okay, I'm so excited. <laughs> we found out that Jamie passed away a couple days after it actually happened, and so we rushed to Chicago. Um, I wrote this song pretty quickly after, and I think that it initially was a song for my own grieving process for me as a way to speak to Jamie and I think as the song is kind of like lived in the world and and I've done my own kind of like processing and grieving I kind of feel like this song now is for anyone who's not feeling loved or anyone who's feeling you know not appreciated or down or, or sad and so I kind of am excited to release a song and kind of send it out Friends all send condolences, but we just want you back. She or him or just somebody falling through the cracks. I just can't stop thinking I could not get through to you. But what I said was true. You are loved You are loved You are loved How did you not know Mothers outlive babies and the story is reversed the princess in the fairy tale is somehow always cursed and i just can't stop thinking i could knock it through to you but what i said was You are
smiles and the years you left won't replace your spark. That was, oh my God. Thank you. Oh my God. I have like two eyes <laughs> right now, honestly. Yeah, talk about like raw and in the moment song. I mean, it was just one of those songs that feels so, I don't know, encapsulate, encapsulated like everything that I feel and that I was feeling mm-hmm. and that I wish I could have sang to Jamie. Somebody. I also, Suicide is such an interesting one too because there's all those mixed emotions. There's all those mixed emotions when you lose somebody where you're just like, Oh my gosh, what could I what could I have done? What did I didn't what didn't I say? And there's also that there's an there's anger. And that's okay. And like I think that I was just like also the opening line really like I don't want your condolences. Like just don't. I was so over mm-hmm. the white roses and the things. I was like fuck all this. I just want you here mm-hmm. to roll your eyes at me because I'm singing too loud in the basement and let it like, I just want you. And I think that grief is so dynamic in itself. And also I think it's really important as a society mm-hmm. to start accepting the trans community more. So they know globally that they're loved. And I think that if anything, I want it to be a thought piece. We loved Jamie. And you know what? I'll tell you this. I know Jamie knew how much I loved them mm-hmm. through and through because I told them more than they wanted to hear it and said, if you're sad, if you're anything, no, you can call me. Like I said the things, but that's not enough. Like we as a, a whole society need to support and love more the trans mm-hmm. community. So I'm glad I could share it with you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank so you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That was absolutely beautiful i had chills the whole time honestly. so that comes out um that comes out april 6th and then i have a tour in april but more to be announced Ooh. later but there is a tour um that i i can at least tease i'm allowed to tease at this oh point oh my gosh Ooh, tease us so and i'm releasing the song I, I keep calling it jamie that's kind of just how i refer to it in my mind but it's going to be called you are love you are love different note we do have one question to ask oh totally can you please (gasps) tell us your craziest drunk story (laughs) (laughs) okay where do we begin you you did warn me i'll just say you warned me a drunk story was was gonna be a question that was gonna be asked and i thank you for that because (laughs) um i'm not gonna say that there's a lot that i could pull from but you know there's a good amount <laughs> of a lot of stories to pull from. There was a substantial amount on the Charlie XCX tour. Brits really know how to drink. Mm. Um, and a lot throughout my life, but I think this is one of my absolute favorites. We were with my friends and we were like kind of like 
West Hollywood high-end bar. Apparently, like, 20-year-olds get invited to way more parties than 25-year-olds. Like, they really, <laughs> like, these promoters are like, we want the youngest girls mm-hmm. possible, which is gross in its own level. But I was party hopping to these different, like, industry-type parties, which typically I find very annoying. Mm-hmm. I found them so annoying that I just decided to continue to drink their free drinks because I thought the parties <laughs> were just so, so, so boring. That'll show them. <laughs> That'll show them. So we get to this last spot, and I am real drunk. Do you remember that I walked into the bar just drunk, and there was a big group of people all around what looked like Drake? And I love Drake. <laughs> like, who does? I just love Drake. How can you not love Drake? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He isn't. He's like, I don't feel like he's done anything canceled. Like, he's really <laughs> done well. Like, he's like, sweetheart. <laughs> we are all kind of at our own table. And I'm just like, liquid courage. Feeling like, no, I'm going up to him. My friends are like, no, you shouldn't. This is an industry party. And I'm like, drunk. I'm like, woohoo. Fuck this industry party. You're like, I'm in the industry, bitch. I'm like drunk and I was, I will say this. um, Back in the day when I got too drunk, they called me Lola. They go, oh, Lola's here. Lola's here. So, oh, you have an alter ego too? Yeah. Mine's oh, Karina. Uh, <laughs> mine is Isabel. So. Ooh, okay, cool. Oh, my God. Well, I, I keep saying after the pandemic, I need to go on a bender because I haven't partied at all. So we'll have all of our drunk uh, alter egos. Just have one, I just need one night. No, I just all need to meet. Yeah, they, all, meet. they need to meet. Essential. So I walk up to Drake and I go in a very drunk style. I would regret if I didn't come up and say hello and tell you how much your music meant to me. And he grabbed my hand. I'm not joking. And he said, have no regrets. I'm glad you did. And I never forgot the fact, like in such Drake fashion, that he said, have no regrets. Like so soft and sweet and compassionate. And I honestly could not tell you what the rest of that conversation was but he was an ultimate sweetheart but the funniest part of this entire story is me and my girlfriends like girlfriends do went to the bathroom after this to like (laughs) talk about the story so we're all in the bathroom and i'm about to shut the door i mean and drake walks by (laughs) and i hold eye contact with him and it was like one of those like slow motion life moments where there's like four or five girls in a bathroom and Drake yes. walks by and I'm like, I know what you're thinking, Drake. And I, and I slow, sh- like some really sexy, I slow shut the door. And I remember feeling like, talk about power moves. I shut the door on Drake. Wow. I shut the door on Drake. And that was one of my favorite drunk stories. Wow. That's a real, nobody can top that. That's a good wow. one. Talk about, talk about liquid courage though. Like yeah. I was like, uh-uh, I'm going up. Do you think Drake wrote a song about you? They're all probably since then about, you know, the girl from the bathroom. Oh my gosh, totally. Like I feel Take like. Take a shot for me. No, it was, it was after Take a shot for me. I'm trying to think of like, other new Drake songs that could have been like he probably has some bathroom reference are you Kiki? I am <laughs> oh my god you should not Kiki do you love me? are you writing? say you never ever leave from beside me cause I want you and I need you so and I'm down to you also called liquid courage so okay. we, we know you have no problem doing this okay cool um, <laughs> we ask you a question you have to answer it 
and then drink. Those are just the rules. Okay. We didn't the make them out. Okay. We didn't make them cool. up. Those are just the rules. Do you need more wine? Yeah, I do. I need a little top up. Yeah. What is your drink of choice? Bourbon. Ooh, what's your go-to party music? Like some weird soul, kind of like Al Green radio. Ooh, Like sexy but soulful. Who do people say is your celebrity look like? Miley Cyrus. Oh, really? I can see that. Yeah, I can see that Constantly. I've signed Miley, I've signed Hannah Montana autographs before. (gasps) No I also had many callbacks for Hannah Montana, but Billy Ray was a bigger star than my dad, but I had callbacks. I had like four callbacks for Hannah wow. Montana. So no yeah, way. yeah, they had a look in mind apparently. Oh. So. oh my gosh. You could have had the best of both worlds. I know. I also could have had <laughs> some really trashy phases. Publicly. <laughs> Okay, I love everything Miley. Miley Cyrus trashy oh, phases. I, I oh, are you them. kidding me? I love the phases, but yeah. mine would have been way trashier. <laughs> what was the first concert you ever went to? My dad's, but that's easy. Other than my dad's, probably like he was signed to Disney, so we would go mm-hmm. to like Cheetah Girl. We went to a Cheetah Girls concert, this but like that's probably like completely a lie because my parents were the type of parents who were like taking me to concerts from a very young age with mm-hmm. headphones. So, so oh, you were that kid. I was that kid. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> What's the first music you bought? Britney. What is something that you do when you're drunk that you instantly regret? Um, cry a lot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. Me too. <laughs> that was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, what's your morning routine? Well, I read in the morning. I've really tried the past like seven months to read thirty minutes every morning. And then start of the new year, I started this thing where I've like do 30 minutes reading and I do 30 minutes working out. I would just like wake up and start working and it just was so unhealthy. Yeah. So I like me and me and my roommate will like read on the porch or something together. Oh my God. That's so cute. Yeah. It's really, and we'll drink our coffee and obviously coffee and reading. So Mm. what do you like to read? I don't know why I keep reading World War II books. There's just a lot of books about <laughs> World War II. But Sean was like, you just read your like third World War II book this past couple months. So I'm trying to like break it up with some more fun pieces of literature. <laughs> like too much like so much information. Dark World War II like dad books. <laughs> like, How interesting. <laughs> what was the worst job you've ever had? I worked, um, my first job was Kitchen 24. I did the midnight shift. I mean, like, the oh. overnight shift. So I did uh, 9.30 p.m. till 6 in the morning. And uh. I then would wake up four hours later and start doing music when oh I gosh. graduated high school. Um, if you didn't pursue your career, what would you be doing? If I wasn't in music, I think I'd probably be in film. Hmm. Okay. I think I'd probably be a producer. And if I was in, like, a more normal job, I think I'd make a great real estate agent. Oh, I could totally see us. I think I could sell some houses. <laughs> yes, you could. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in the next five years? A pop star, obviously. Just a big, massive fucking pop star. Yes. Yeah. See it too. We see it too. We see it too. We see it too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's circle back to the wine. Do we like it? Do we not like I it? I like it. I liked it. It's very drinkable. We finished the bottle, we so I think we bottle. all liked it. <laughs> I Dang it. I like tasting like very fruit forward wines. Yeah. Some of like my favorite wines are like very fruit forward and full bodied, and I thought it was a good, easy drinking wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, this is great. Mm-hmm. It was really smooth. What would you unconventionally pair this with? Yes, uh, Ozark. 
I think. Ooh. I think I'll tell and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, Ozark keeps your blood pressure up and this is simple, easy, and relaxing wine to go with maybe a high intensity stressful show. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, so the good. opposites. So I good. like that. Yeah. Do you yeah. have a pairing? I'm not going to lie. I've been thinking this entire episode of ways to pair this with Doja Cat, and I don't think it makes sense, but I'm still going to do it anyway. Yeah. I pair this with Doja Cat because I love that for you. I like this wine and I like Doja Cat. Yeah. I, love that. <laughs> um, I would pair this with Marina and the Diamonds, the band. Oh, because, I love Marina. Because you kind of remind me of her. <laughs> I'll take it. And um, it, she's just like super poppy and out there and like that's where the fruit comes in yes she's and also she like has very a, drinkable she like has her... an album called fruit oh she does oh wow oh my God, she does yes, she yes. Has an album called exactly fruit. um marina is so talented one of the most we both have like we're both like opera kids when it comes to like vocal training mm. oh really she's like an amazing like oh that makes kid. sense like she hits mm. those high notes like fucking mm. crazy um i've been like in similar circles and i she's like so I love when you meet people and they're like nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like she's like a nice, lovely, drinkable person. <laughs> but no, she's so it's nice and make amazing music. So it's a good uh, pairing. Well, seriously, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so yes. much again for being on the show. So and fun. Yeah, we can't wait to see you on March 24th. Yeah. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you on social media? Where can they yeah. stream the EP when it comes out? So there's a ton of music online now. Um, Fiona Gray, G-R-E-Y. And all of the socials are just at Fiona Gray. You know, Twitter is at Fiona Gray Music. Awesome. Amazing. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you again. This was so fun. I needed yeah. my day needed this, so thank you. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. And uh, you know where to follow us at Overport and Screwed on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And make sure you rate and review this podcast you because it. it's nice. Five <laughs> five stars, please. Five stars or don't rate reviews. Actually still do it, but please give us five stars. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>